0: If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We are in a part two of a three part little mini series in Acts chapter 20 called Don't Waste Your Life. Don't Waste Your Life. We looked last week at how Paul in this passage shows us as he's giving his final words to the elders of the church in Ephesus, how he tells us not to waste our life, that we have a purpose, that God has a purpose for you. Not tomorrow, but today. And this week, as we look at Acts chapter 20, we're going to dig into one aspect of what it is that God is calling you to do. One of the most common questions I get is, yeah, what is my purpose? Well, we're going to look at one of the answers to that question today. In Acts chapter 20, we're going to read beginning in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I have lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of the Jewish opponents." You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God." with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul, in this passage, is modeling his core purpose and your core purpose. In this passage, we see him modeling, making disciples of others, making disciples of others. That Paul poured his life, his heart, his tears, into this church, into these Ephesian elders. And in the midst of that, he was stepping into his purpose. And your purpose is to invest in others, to disciple others. To follow Christ is to step into his calling to go and make disciples of all nations. When you ask me the question, Gare, what is it that God wants me to do? Paul is modeling it, and Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Last week, I recommended a book to you by our friend John Mark Comer called Garden City where he tells us in that book about our purpose to bring healing and renewal to the world, to create culture in the image and in the name of God. But he says in that book, but don't ever forget that parallel to that amazing vocational purpose is the one that Jesus gave us, to go and make disciples. To make disciples. Paul didn't just preach in this church But we see in this passage, he invested his life in seeing them come into the fullness of who they are in Jesus Christ. He invests, he prays, he teaches, he trains, he mentors, he encourages them in their walk with Jesus Christ. Have you ever realized you are a disciple maker? You are called to make disciples, This morning, I'm going to train you on how to disciple others. I'm going to train you on how to be a disciple maker. How to, in your relationship with your friends, your family members, your colleagues, how to step into your purpose to see them become all that they can be in Jesus Christ. Because God's strategy for discipleship is you. Is you. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. Most of you look at me blankly going, no, time out. Time out, Gare. I've got major objections to this. The first is disciple making is for pastors. That's your job. Don't give me your job. Do your job, Gare. And in fact, if I do your job, what are you going to do? We've been raised in a culture where discipleship is done by the experts, and as if I am one, and we are to be discipled by someone else who knows everything, who's got all the wisdom and all the expertise. That is what discipleship is. The problem is, that's not what the Bible says. In Ephesians 4, I get my job description. In Ephesians 4 verse 11 it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you see the logical steps there? It doesn't say... So Christ gave pastors and elders and teachers so that the church will be fully mature. It says, we have pastors and teachers to equip his people to do works of ministry so that then we may be mature. The only way the church will be discipled is when everyone steps into their ministry of discipleship. Don't you lament like I do. Don't you grieve when you see Christians behaving badly, behaving nothing like Jesus. And we long for and we cry out the church needs discipleship. And so often it's easy, like I do, we look at pastors and go, disciple! I think we should call pastors to account. But the correct admonishment to pastors is not, Gare, get on and disciple. It's Gare, train us to disciple one another. Because that is how the church reaches maturity. Do you see yourself as a disciple maker? I love Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. It doesn't say, as the ironmonger sharpens iron, it says iron sharpening iron. That's why in the Bible, the New Testament, there are over 100 one another commands. the The one another commands where Paul over and over again says, build one another up, speak the truth to one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, pastor one another. Exhort one another. Correct, one another. Rebuke, one another. It's as if he's trying to tell us something that you have a job to do, one another. The second objective objection that I hear and I have myself is, but Gerd, disciple-making is surely for the mature. It's surely for those who know something. I can't disciple anyone. You know, right now, Gare, I've got nothing to give. In fact, I'm bluffing my way through everything. If I open my mouth, it'll be wrong. I don't know scriptures. I'm not reading my Bible much. I'm barely hanging on in my faith. I can't disciple anyone. And there's a lie that the enemy uses all the time, which is maturity is a qualification for discipleship. If that was the case, then the disciples had no chance. Then Jesus left them way too early. The apostle Peter, for whom Jesus said, upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. We look at that and go, wow, he must have been really mature. And then we read, Jesus died, he resurrected, he ascended, Then Pentecost came, and it wasn't until a few months later that God broke into Peter's life and actually revealed to him that the gospel was also for the Gentiles and not just for Jews. I mean, you know more than that, right? That it wasn't until Acts chapter 10 that Peter realized that the gospel was for non-Jews as well. That's how much Jesus realized that maturity is not a qualification for discipleship. Orientation is. Simply hungering for more of Jesus. See, discipleship is not one spiritual Yoda passing on their wisdom to a young Luke Skywalker. That is needed. That's called teaching. That's called counseling. But that's not the message of discipleship. See, discipleship in the Bible is you being simply a catalyst in someone else's life to spur them on in their walk with Jesus. And when you realize discipleship is not me being further ahead of someone, but simply provoking them in their walk with Jesus, well, you can do that with anyone. You can do that with someone who is way far ahead of you in their walk with the Lord. And you can do it with someone who's just beginning. See, discipleship in the Bible is doing what you can do to provoke someone else in their walk with the Lord. Things like, hey man, I'm praying for you. Hey man, I want to encourage you. Last week I saw God do this through you. I want to encourage you that I see God working. It's building them up. It's inviting someone to church. It's going, come with me to the men's night. Come with me to serve in the Salvation Army. Hey, let's go together to the singles night. Do you see how all discipleship is, is being a catalyst for someone else to look to Jesus and to help them move further toward him? When you see it this way, you start to realize, huh, we can all do this. We can all disciple. Objection number three is, but discipleship is what I need. I long for someone to disciple me. I need to grow, Gare. Yeah, okay, I can do this, but I need to grow. Well, back to Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You will grow when you begin to grow others. I don't know how more plainly to put it. You grow when you grow others. Jesus did it with his disciples. He said, you go out and you do the stuff. He sent them out in Luke chapter 9. He sent out the 12 disciples. You go and heal people. You go and preach and you'll grow as you do that. Then he got 72 other nameless people. We don't know who they are in Luke chapter 10. I think that was the point. It's like anybody can do this. You go out and grow. We are apprentices of Jesus, which means we grow as we do. We grow as we do. And the greatest doing that you can step into is discipling others, encouraging others, building others up, taking responsibility for your purpose to invest and grow. I have grown the most when I'm discipling other people. That's why I love people joining me to help run Alpha. Because you're going to be in a group where you're helping other people discover and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And I can guarantee you will grow the most when you join me in helping Alpha. The challenge is, again, do you see how this is such the most powerful tool in your life to grow, for the church to be discipled, and yet the enemy comes in and lies to us and goes, but that's not your job, it's gas, but you're too immature for that, you've got nothing to offer. Do you see how the lies paralyze the church in its primary purpose, which is discipling one another? I don't know anybody who has said to me, Gare, teach me how to disciple someone. I've never heard that question. And yet it's the most plain commandment of Jesus, go and make disciples. I've constantly hear, I need someone to disciple me. I need a mentor. I need someone to invest in my life. And normally they go, can Ash do that? Can Ash, can I have time with Ash? Can, I, can Ash take me out for coffee? We, don't you all want a mentor? I do. And yet, actually the logic isn't working. Because everyone's saying I need a mentor and everyone's saying but I can't do it because I'm not mature enough. Do you see the dilemma? Maybe we got the system wrong. Maybe the system is start mentoring one another. Start discipling one another. and Occasionally, you'll hit an obstacle. You need more deep counseling, deeper teaching, but they're not supposed to be your everyday discipleship. Disciple one another. All right, so here's my one-on-one training on how to do it. I labored that a bit because I think I've got to move the needle a lot because most people think it's not me. How many of you walked in the room today going, my job is to disciple others? About four. And you're all in vocational ministry. (laughs) Yeah, you're all paid to do it. All Fundraising. But we're all to do it. So this is how you do it. Okay? You may want to get a pen and paper out because this is going to be a workshop. This is how you disciple someone. This is how you get on the ramp, that on the 101 disciple making. Okay? And I'm going to actually challenge you now to think through how to do this. Number one is choose who to disciple. Choose who to disciple. There's two levels of this. The first level is everyone you come into contact with. Right? You can be a catalyst in any conversation in any relationship in church or non-church, to help someone grow closer to Jesus. But then there's going to be specific people God calls you to disciple. Paul was called to disciple the elders of the Ephesian church. Not not actually the whole church. He didn't visit the whole church. He just called the elders because that's my job, to disciple them. God has a limited number of people he's called you to invest in. So look around you. Who has he put in your life? Roommate? Family? Colleagues? Alpha group? Your alpha group, your community group? Who is around you that God has put you in their life because he's called you to disciple them? In other words, who in your life is being underfed because you're not discipling them. See, this isn't just a privilege, but it's a responsibility. God puts people in your life, and he goes, oh, I hope this person really needs help. I know. I'll put them next to Max. I hope Max realizes that's the point of this, is they're desperately needing feeding, so I put them next to Max. And Max is going to go, because he's such a man of God. Oh, Lord, I see, and I surrender my life to your will, and I'm going to do that. So who is it? Can I encourage you? And It's probably going to be, if you're a parent, it's your kids. I'm about to start. I'm not a great disciple. I'm learning all the time. My son's about to turn 13, and a friend of mine, John Tyson, has written a dad-son discipleship journey, For three years, beginning at the age of 13. So I said to my son, Sam, you turn 13 this November. We're going to go away on a trip. And we're going to start as a, that's the beginning of this journey. And for three years, we're going to go on this intentional discipleship journey. I think he's as petrified as I am. (laughs) But you know, we're going to give it a good go. It could be your friends. It could be your roommate. But who is it that God's put in your life that he's calling you to disciple, to help in their walk with the Lord? Secondly, be intentional. Paul's intentional. He said, I've not hesitated to preach to you and to go from house to house. I am intentional about this. And so when it comes to discipling others, you need to be intentional. I think there's a few tips that I've learned over the years in discipling people. First is, make a regular time. Hey, make it short, right? If it's too long, people give up. So, hey, every two weeks, why don't we get together before work for an hour max, maybe 45 minutes, and we're going to pray, we're going to read the Bible together, we're going to check in how we're doing, and then we're going to go to work. But I'm only going to do this if you commit to this, because we need to be intentional about this. Find something sustainable, and something that is not too difficult in your calendar. To be intentional about it. Thirdly, pray. Pray for them and pray with them. Pray for them and pray with them. I find that the best way to catalyze who God's calling you to disciple is, Lord, who are you putting on my heart to pray for? Who are you putting on my heart to pray for? Just think through now. Who are you led to pray for? And you think, well, no one. Well, ask the Lord to put on your heart someone to pray for. And what does that mean, put on your heart? Well, when you close your eyes and say, God, who do you want me to pray for? Who comes to mind? Who comes to mind? Because God directs us through our thinking. It's called the mind of Christ. And pray for them. And when I pray for people do what Paul does. He prays for them, but then he tells them he's praying for them. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Guys, I always pray for you. I'm constantly praying for you. Because that's discipleship. That is telling someone, Hey, I'm rooting for you in your walk with the Lord. That's discipleship. So I text a lot of people. Whenever I pray for someone, I text them and say, Hey man, I just want you to know I'm praying for you today. Because you constantly just... Investing in other people's lives and pray with them. When you gather, pray together. Pray together. Fourthly, look at Jesus together. Look at Jesus together. Paul says, I taught you, I warned you, I encouraged you, I trained you. Basically, discipleship is about being shoulder to shoulder with someone looking at Jesus together. Which means that you could be further back than them because it's not about how mature you are. It's actually, you're just oriented towards Jesus together. Which means that when you get together, let me let you into a little tip here. Nice conversations don't disciple people. Hanging out with Mimosas don't disciple people. I meet so many people who say, yeah, totally. Got my friend group, it's great. We're we're all Christians and that we never look at Jesus together. Because we've reduced discipleship to hanging out, chilling, chillaxing. As if friendships are discipleship relationships. Now you can bring discipleship into friendship, which is the point, right? Make Jesus part of your friendship. But sit down and look at Jesus together. So when you meet, just say, great. Why don't, what are we both going through? We're both... Newlyweds, great. We're both blokes, great. Why don't we study the Bible together or do a study on what it means to be a godly husband? Let's look at Jesus together. We're both lawyers. This is, this is my story. We're both lawyers, great. Let's meet over lunchtime and study and read and pray about what it means to be a Christian lawyer, a gospel-centered lawyer. Let's look at Jesus together. Musician, artist, entertainer. Look at Jesus together. Bring Jesus into whatever we're going through in life. This whole mask issue right now, right? I love it because I'm helping disciple people by simply asking the question yeah, what does the gospel say about wearing masks? And that actually triggers most people to go, I've never thought about it really. I know what I think, I know what culture thinks. I know what my preferred news station thinks. I know what my social media thinks. I go, that's totally fine. But we're looking at Jesus together, right? What does the gospel say about all these issues? We're discipling. Bring Jesus into it. Bring, can I encourage you? Bring Jesus into your everyday conversations with your friends. How many have overcome that hurdle in their friendships? I mean, the Christian friendships. It's great because sometimes there's that hurdle to get over. It's like, ooh, we're going there, are we? Hey, how are you feeling about your relationship with God right now? Ooh, I don't. that's not my friendship. I remember I grew the most when a friend decided, you know what? We're Christians. So we're not just going to talk about Netflix and the Hollywood Bowl. We should great things to talk about. But I'm going to actually say, hey, what, what's God doing in your life right now? How's your faith right now? And suddenly, my faith grew because we were looking at Jesus together. That's discipleship. You're catalyzing someone's relationship with Jesus. You could say, great, let's, you're messed up as I am, right? Great, let's, all, let's go to Ash and do the Emotionally Healthy course. You know? Yes. Yes. Roland's going, yes, you are messed up care. You need to go do the, uh." no, Roland's amazing. Do you see what I mean? This is not so much of a sermon, but a bit of a coaching session. Do you see what I mean? It's actually the starting to catalyze other people into going, come on, let's grow in Christ together. It's being serious about bringing Christ into what you're going through. And I actually do choose my friendships carefully. I've got friendships where I'm helping people discover God. But if I'm in a friendship, And we're Christian, I want to give my life to that friendship. If someone doesn't want to bring Jesus into it like that, I go, dude, well, I'm not going to waste my life. Because I want to grow in Christ. Show me your friends and I'll show you your discipleship. And I have lots of times people say to me, can you hang out with that person? Because they really need a mentor. They really need someone to... Provoke them in Christ. I go, sure, I'll hang out. And I always say yes, but I'll do it once and once only to see if they want that as well. And sometimes I'm over, I have a pint, we have a laugh, and I say, hey, so what do you think about God? Or what are you wanting from God right now? And nothing. And change the subject. I go, that's great, mate. When you're hungry for Jesus, we can hang out more. Okay. Number five, create safety and authenticity. Create safety and authenticity. I used to hate discipling and discipleship groups because they turned into moralistic performance groups where I felt shame and guilt every time I was in the group because every question was, hey, Gare, so let's, let's keep each other accountable and Gare, how many books of the Bible did you read this week? You know, How many people did you lead to Christ this week? how long was your prayer life this week? And I'd turn up feeling, man, I'm such a sinner. I'm so awful at this. And I would stop going. Does that ring true for anyone? It's like, I want to run a mile because all I feel in these groups are shame. All I feel is a spotlight on how terrible I am. And have you noticed, the disciples never felt shame around Jesus. And Peter let all of his brokenness and weaknesses hang out there with Jesus. Because Jesus, for Jesus, it was never about your performance, it's about your heart. It's about reality and authenticity. And I found a group of friends that when we get together, it's not performance-driven, but it's heart-driven. It's reality, where we ask each other things like, "Man, what are you struggling with this week?" "Oh man, what are your doubts right now about your faith?" And I go, phew, I can be honest. Um, So move away from performance-oriented, do this, or I call them stop-it groups. Because all we do is tell each other to stop doing the bad stuff. But move into gospel-centered heart relationships. And almost there, serve together. Serve together. There is no greater way to catalyze someone's faith by going, come on, we're going to go serve together. We're going to go serve at the Salvation Army together. Come on, we're going to go and serve the poor together. Come on, we're going to go and serve on the hospitality team at church together. Service is like the ignition system to your faith. It sets it on fire. We think sitting down and being fed sets us on fire but it's getting out there and so join a team together go do something together visit one of our partner churches across the city together serve together and then finally surrender together and I love the worship team to come up surrender together you've heard all of this it's more of a training this morning but I want to come to you and say, do you hear the heartbeat of God for you to step into your purpose to surrender to discipling others? Paul said at the very start, he said, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with humility and with tears. We're so busy, aren't we, with our own agendas. We're so busy about building ourselves up and being fed and being healed, which is all good, but we forget actually God says, bow the knee and will you step into surrendering your life to invest in others, to feed others, that as you give, so you will receive, that as you serve, so you will be served. As you lose your life, you'll find it. And I think we have come to an individualistic salvation to Jesus where it's all about my personal growth. And yet, God calls us to surrender and to pour our lives into others. Because that's what He did for us. That's what He did for us. He came to lay his life down for you and for me. This is the heart of our gospel, to surrender and pour our lives out for another as Christ has poured his life out for us.